Lorenzo, and welcome to another episode of the Curious Cat podcast. I am your host, Sebastian Bowen, joined as always by my co-host, Zoe Maria Kesselman. Hello. Hello, Zoe. How's things? Good, thank you. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Just been completely busy researching this week's episode. Haven't really had time to do much else, to be honest. There's so much stuff in this week's episode to try and unpack. But I think we're going to try and do our our very best to um, get all the juicy parts out. What about yourself? Yeah, I think uh, we could easily do an entire series on this. We really could. We really could. And I know there's actually other podcasts out there that, that have actually done a series on this. And there's been a television show on this episode as well so um yeah but before we get into it just a, a couple things to mention we've definitely had a lot more listeners over the last couple of weeks which we're very very grateful for and very pleased as well to see people are tuning in and liking the um the podcast and uh, we would just ask if you are listening and you're happy with the podcast or unhappy please let us know give us some comments give us some stars let us know what you like about the podcast. Let us know what you don't like about the podcast. Um, if there's any suggestions of episodes or things that you'd like us to cover in the future, maybe. We've got a long list already, but we're always happy to um, have new subjects and possibly move things around, move certain things up the list if we find it intriguing, interesting, that we can bring to our listeners. One of the countries, actually, that came out of the woodwork for us this week was Cambodia. We seem to have a large fan base over in Cambodia, as well as obviously the UK and America. Um, But yeah, one I did not expect was Cambodia and India as well. So very big thank you to our fans out in Cambodia. Delighted to see that we're going global. Yeah, thank you. Uh, It means a lot to us. So let us know what you think so we can continue doing it. Yes. All right. So without further ado, we've got a lot to talk about this week. So We're going to try and cut the intro very short and jump straight into the episode. Zoe, as always, would you like to tell our listeners what we're going to be talking about today? In 2018, the FBI indicted a group of people for what some believed was nothing more than another wild conspiracy theory. In a short space of time, it was proven that what was once a theory or myth quickly became fact. One man's dream to shape the world how he saw fit, offering the wonderful gift of self-improvement, descended quickly into control, manipulation, sexual and physical abuse. The targeted people for such abuse were intellectuals, celebrities and the world's elite. Join us on a journey as we try to discover how something that on the surface seemed so harmless, but ended up hurting so many. Today we ask the question, what is Nexium? Yes. What is Nexium? That is the question. Something I became aware of in about 2018 or maybe 2017. That was the first time I heard this, the word. And then I actually had to look it up. And then it took me a while to actually find it because it's spelt so very oddly that you would never um, immediately spell it that way, which is spelt N-X-I-V-M and pronounced Nexium. Yeah, so Nexium is based near Albany, New York, and itself describes as a multi-level marketing company offering the public personal and professional development seminars through its executive success programs. However, to the outside world, the company is widely acknowledged as a cult. Their secrets are deep and dark, 
their members most notoriously on trial for allowing Nexium to be an alleged recruiting platform for a secret society in which women were branded and forced into sexual slavery. So the way we'll be doing this episode is going to be slightly different um, because there's a lot of facts as well. Uh, we don't want to just keep hitting you with fact after fact and dates after dates because that won't be interesting. So we've kind of drawn on other sources of information, i.e., personal accounts from people that have been inside this group and have left documentaries or done documentaries, shall I say, and podcasts as well that are out there and try and get a feel from the actual people that were in it because there's a lot of information online that you can read about it, but I thought it was also important to actually hear from the people themselves, which, again, there is a lot of information out there, audio and video, of what these people were actually doing yeah, considering this is something I knew basically nothing about. So we've tried to give you as much context as possible without boring everyone. Correct, yes. So to give you a brief history of how Nexium came to be, before we get into some of the stories we have discovered, we have created a timeline to walk you through. So to begin with, Keith Rainier, who is our main focus of today probably, first created company Consumers Byline, which ended up being accused of being a pyramid scheme by the New York Attorney General. In 1996, Rainier signed a consent order in which he denied any wrongdoing, but agreed to pay a $40,000 fine. He was permanently banned from promoting, offering or granting participation in a chain distribution scheme. So that basically meant that what he wasn't allowed to be part of any other pyramid scheme type companies for the rest of his life as long as he paid this 40 grand yes which (laughs) we will learn he did not follow (laughs) no he definitely didn't follow that in 1998 Rainier and a lady called Nancy Solzman went offering executive success programs and a range of techniques for self-improvement yes and during these seminars students would be expected to call Rainier Vanguard and Solzman Prefect. The Hollywood Reporter wrote that Rainier adopted the title Vanguard from a favourite arcade game in which the destruction of one's enemies increased one's power, which would become quite relevant later on in the podcast. Yeah, so at this point as well, Rainier started to claim that he was the leader of a philosophical movement. You can see with those two exactly where this is going. By 2003, 3,700 people had taken part in these seminars, including prominent professionals across America, including Surgeon Generals, Enron executives, and uh, prominent political figures as well. In the early 2000s, C. Graham Harris, Claire and Sarah Bronfman, daughters of Edgar Bronfman, became attached to the organisation. Just to give you a little bit of history on who Edgar Bronfman is, Zoe, do you want to fill us in? Yeah, so Edgar Bronfman was a Canadian-American businessman. He worked for his family's distilled beverage firm, Seagram, eventually becoming president, treasurer and CEO. As president of the World Jewish Congress, Bronfman is especially remembered for initiating diplomacy with the Soviet Union, which resulted in legitimising the Hebrew language in Russia and contributed to Soviet Jews being legally able to practise their own religion as well as emigrate to Israel. Yes, and the Seagram Company, um, in case people don't know, it's a massive, massive conglomerate formerly headquartered in Montreal, Quebec, um, and they mainly dealt with distilled uh, Canadian whiskey. It was once 
the largest owner of alcoholic beverages in the world. So you can imagine the type of profits they were pulling in. Um, they didn't just own beverages either. Towards the end of its independent existence, it also controlled various entertainment and other business ventures. It purchased MCA, and uni- which owned Universal Studios at the time, and other theme parks as well. So, and I think they actually owned Coca-Cola as well, if I'm not mistaken. They sold off most of these companies as they went forward, were, which obviously garnished them a lot of profit. But I think they kept they kept the alcohol distillery part of the business alive. Yeah, and I think the reason why this company and Edgar is so important is obviously because Claire and Sarah Bronfman were the heiresses of this Seagram fortune. And notably, Claire Bronfman's been in the news recently, which we'll get to, so people might recognise her name. And also, this is where Nexium got their funding. So they tapped into a lot of this Seagram money. Yes, and they needed a lot of that money in order to do what they went forward and done. We're talking billion, billion, billion dollar industry, and that money was now flowing into Nexium. So before we go any further, let's look at some of the key players within Nexium. So we mentioned Keith Rainier, aka the Vanguard himself. He's seen as the co-founder and leader of Nexium. Then we had Nancy Salzman, who we mentioned. She was the co-founder, president and the prefect then we have Alison Mack who you may know who's an actress from the television program Smallville she her role was a recruiter she was also president of a company called The Source which was obviously uh, part of Nexium and their job was essentially to go out there and find other media type people and bring them into Nexium she was also the co-leader of DOS which were get into later on in the podcast as to what DOS was. Yeah, just to note quickly, Nexium was discovered to be a massive umbrella company and they had literally hundreds of companies underneath them. So when we're talking about these other companies like the Vow or DOS or the Source, they are all still Nexium. Exactly. Yeah. They are all part of the same thing. There was Sarah Edmondson, who's a recruiter and known as a senior proctor within Nexium and I'll talk about her and Mark Vincent, who's also a recruiter and senior proctor later on in the podcast. We've got Lauren Salzman, head of education, who is Nancy Salzman's mother. So we've got the mother and daughter both working for the same organization. Then we get Claire Bronfman, the funder, who we talked about just a moment ago, who's the daughter and heiress of Seagram. And last but not least, a lady called Kathy Russell, who was the bookkeeper. So, yeah, Keith was supposed to be able to speak multiple languages. He was highly educated. Apparently, one one of the facts that jumped out at me was he was supposed to have the highest IQ of any person in the world. He's a great martial artist, a spiritual master, a genius in many subjects, including maths and physics. Which is what you would tell everyone if you were the leader of a cult. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But as well, when when you hear this guy talk on, on... tv there is something he's a very he's very good with words he's definitely a wordsmith and he's very calm when he speaks as well and he's very charismatic he's very believable and very plausible when you listen to him so you can understand why people kind of fell into his trance so to speak because he does come across very genuine with what he's saying and the way he projects himself 
So before we go any further, I think we're just going to let you guys know some of the phrases and their meanings, which we'll be talking about throughout this episode, because there's a lot of them, as I said before. It was an umbrella company. There were many companies under it and a lot of words and programs that they had going on. So some of the main ones we're going to be talking about are DOS. I'm not going to attempt the Latin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to attempt Let me try to attempt it. It stands okay. for Dominus Obscurius Sororium, which is a Latin phrase that reportedly translates to master over slave women. Well done. We have ESP, which is our executive success program. We have collateral, which is a secret in return for trust. So when they recruited a lot of these members, the condition of being recruited was that you would trade in secrets, photos, things about yourself so that the company held these secrets so that they could release them if you ever tried to speak out against them. We have suppressives, which is anybody trying to impede progress in Nixium. People who did turn against Rainier were said to have undergone the fall and were labelled, in the words of a former member, as Luciferians, lost people for whom bad feels good and good feels bad. Nixium members organised Vanguard Week, which is an annual celebration of Rainier's birthday. I read somewhere that no one knew what his actual birthday was because they just celebrated all week. Yeah, they did. and I've seen... a. Uh, a clip in a documentary of what that looks like it was quite a big affair they not only just celebrate his birthday there's speeches even throughout the week there's performances given to him there is very 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 strange because these are all adults as well they're not children but they're almost presented as if it's a, a school assembly it's in that type of mm. auditorium there's a stage basically and he's kind of seated in the audience while everybody presents his birthday celebration, I suppose. In the early 2000s, cult allegations had already begun to surface when their training becomes a trade secret subject to a non-disclosure agreement. So they're all being asked to be very hush-hush about what's going on in the training exercises. In 2003, Nexium underwent its first major legal battle when cult investigator Rick Allen Ross, founder of Ross Institute, posted a psychiatrics assessment of Nexium's secret manual on his website that called the regime expensive brainwashing. Nexium alleged a copyright infringement for publishing excerpts of the manual, which he obtained from ex-member Stephanie Franco, co-defendant in the trial, who had signed a non-disclosure agreement not to divulge information from the manual to others. Nexium filed suits in both New York and New Jersey, but both were dismissed. One of the podcasts I was listening to, they spoke to this guy and I found it really interesting. Um, it stuck out to me because I think this was an important turning point because it shows the legal strength behind the organisation that we've seen in recent history. Ross was lucky in the fact his case was taken up pro bono because this case took over a decade to be dismissed and would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it shows that even by the early 2000s, they were not an organisation to be easily messed with. I saw something that Ross had said where he obviously gets sued a lot. And um, he said that the people who sue him, they will sue him up to the point where it's no longer in their best interest. And then they will drop the case. It never really gets to a point where it has to be dismissed like this one was. So he said the most interesting thing for him was that Rainier 
didn't drop the case when it went past his best interest and just pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. So I think to me, when I was listening, that was quite an important fact to point out that he's not going to stop these legal battles. He's not going to stop any of the allegations against him. And I suppose in some ways he's trying to prove that his company has some sort of credibility that they have nothing to lose. Similar to what Scientology do, really, because Scientology do a very similar thing where they know they're in the wrong, but they just keep at it because in some ways they believe if they can continue to lie and continue to stick with the same lie, then there's some people out there that will believe the lie no matter what, because why would you be willing to go to court and stick with the same wording unless you believe that you were right, if that makes sense. Um, So for some people that kind of shows that, oh, these people are just making up vicious rumors against Renier. Yeah, I agree. Also in 2003, Forbes and Vanity Fair released articles that left Nexium members stunned. Expecting a positive story, top members of Nexium, including Rainier, Salzman and Bronfman, had all offered interviews to Forbes. Yet the articles that came out were damning. So quoting Edgar Bronfman's remarks, um, I think it's a cult. Edgar Bronfman told the magazine, going on to say that he was troubled about the emotional and financial investment in Nexium by his daughters, to whom he had not spoken to in months. So I think this is the first public outing of them being a cult or a little bit less intentioned than they think they are sure and i'm guessing Rene at that time was probably a little bit annoyed because well he he probably thought this was their way into attracting some of the elites especially mm. being in forbes magazine so yeah that's really interesting and it's interesting that the edgar bronfman hadn't spoken to his daughter in months at that point as well yeah, so they were being isolated from their family, which is classic cult move. Yeah, yeah. And we see that so many times in, in so many different cults. In 2008, the Bruntman sisters allegedly pressured several attorney generals to open criminal investigations into Nexium critics. So yeah, this is important again, because again, that's a classic sign of a cult that you are taken away from your family and that people on the inside are not allowed to say anything bad against the organisation. Yeah, and usually there's a punishment for for saying so. As we see, again, mentioning Scientology, those that, that leave um, and try and say anything are usually hounded, hounded and hounded by the current Scientology members and harassed very badly, allegedly. Yeah. By 2010, Nexium had been described as a pyramid scheme, a sex trafficking operation, a cult, and a sex cult. Kristen Keefe, a longtime partner of Rainier and mother of his child, left the group in 2014 and called Rainier dangerous, saying all the worst things you know about Nexium are absolutely true. Yeah, so we can see he's back to his old tricks again, taking part in the pyramid schemes that he promised he wouldn't. Yeah, and he paid his £40,000 to say that he wouldn't do that again. But clearly, £40,000 wasn't wasn't even nowhere near enough money to stop yeah. him from doing it again. Yeah, exactly. He also, in 2014, founded the Nexium-affiliated news organisation, The Knife of Aristotle, later known as The Knife and The Knife Media. The Knife of Aristotle was subsequently described as fake news website and a cult. The organisation also 
reportedly hired journalists to gain media support to solicit new members to Nexium. So if we've not sold it as a cult so far, definitely was by this point. Exactly. And for our listeners, if you want to see what Keith O'Neill looks like, I would definitely recommend you jump on YouTube, type in his name. There's an interview that he does with Alison Mack. That was the actress from Smallville that I mentioned earlier. Interview between the two of them. But when you're watching this interview, there's something very odd about the interview, just their relationship on screen. There is an intimacy that comes across on the screen. She's almost, I suppose, what was the word you use? Gushing over him? Like, mm. is that fair to say? Like, she, she was looked, completely brainwashed by yeah, that point, she, I think. She, you can tell that. Yeah, she looks completely besotted by this guy and everything he's saying. She's just sitting there gazing into his eyes. And he does come across as a very charismatic man. He does. The interview is essentially talking about the the meaning of authenticality and what it means to be authentic and the difference between science and creativity. That's the the whole point of this interview. It lasts for about an hour and a half. You don't have to watch the whole thing. I would say watch at least 15 minutes of it. And it is interesting. Don't get me wrong. The, the thing that makes Keith quite compelling is when he talks, he does say things that do make sense. It is like listening to someone reading a self-help book and he knows how to say all the right things. He's very calm when he speaks. He's very gentle when he talks. He's got a very non-aggressive look to him, which kind of immediately lets you put your guard down because he doesn't come across as threatening in any way at all. And he's very structured and well well-spoken individual he is he is definitely intelligent you can tell that just from listening to him but again he's not saying anything that i think is mind-blowing but for some people who've never heard that type of rhetoric before in the past could easily fall for his charm could easily fall for his wisdom and believe that they are listening to someone who's all-knowing and 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 almost godlike which is kind of how he wants to come across. Everything he, everything that is said to him, he always comes up with another rebuttal or another way of saying pretty much what you just said, but in a far more intellectual way. Mm. And it's important to note when watching this, at this point, um, according to sources, Alison, along with Lauren Salzman, were both having a sexual relationship with Renier at this point already. And Lauren Salzman, as we mentioned, is the daughter of the co-founder and president of Nexium, which is Nancy Salzman. Yeah, so at this point, a lot of secrets had start to come out against Nexium. And I do have a few stories that I saw that we can talk about, which are kind of some of the craziest stories I saw. One being that at this time, prosecutors believe in the trial that we'll go into a tiny bit later on, that founder Keith Rainier not only was having a sexual relationship with the two that Seb just said, but was also having a sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl who later became his first slave. Later on, he was charged with human trafficking, sex trafficking charges, and was hit with the additional charge of charges of child pornography. Right. And you've mentioned the word slave there, because that plays a big part in terms of where the Nexium actually went to and why uh, eventually it all started falling apart for them to be honest mm -hmm. there was a documentary that i watched called the vow which explains how things worked on the inside it kind of talks about the hierarchy of 
members of the group. And the first few episodes, well, in fact, most of the documentary revolves around uh, a gentleman called Mark Vincent and uh, a woman called Sarah Edmondson, who both became senior proctors. And so a proctor, in a sense, was kind of like, well, the most senior members within the group. You start off as a student, then you go up to a coach, and then from a coach you become a proctor, and then after a proctor you become a senior proctor. And this is all done through uh, what they call a stripe path, and students would get these sashes that they would hang around their neck, similar to what looks like a, a belt in martial arts, because then you'd even get little stripes on those on those sashes to signify your level within that rank so you'd have a white sachet to show your student and then you'd have one stripe on it and go up to two stripes three stripes four stripes and then you'd move up to the next sash which would be a different color and that would signify then you're a coach which i believe was a yellow one but then after you had done the yellow one then you'd get a green sash and so forth until you get to the highest level which was the senior proctor um and obviously no one can get to the level that um keith is at i saw something extra as well that Nancy Salzman's daughter, Lauren, she is actually admitted and later charged with keeping a woman as a slave. So she revealed that she had knowingly and intentionally harboured an unnamed woman in a locked room for two years. When the woman did not request, uh, did not complete requested labour, Salzman confessed that she'd threatened to deport her back to Mexico. We can already see that this organisation was starting to keep slaves. Yeah. And it's a big part of, you know, as I just said a moment ago, it's a big part of where the direction of the whole group went. So it's gone from being a self-help, motivational, speaking type of environment to now something far more darker, where they're now recruiting people purposely to be slaves. And most of these slaves, not most, all of these slaves were women. So there was obviously Mm -hmm. men within the groups, but this section of the organisation, which was called the DOS, was specifically there to enslave women so they could be mastered by men but within that organization it was an organization filled with just women like a secret society kind of like i suppose freemasonry is how it was described in one of the documentaries i watch it was described as a language of wellness and sisterhood to draw in women to dos and these women essentially are being trained and brainwashed for the eventuality that one day they're going to get to sleep with uh Keith or have sex with Keith. Yeah, and as part of this relationship, members were asked to count their calories and lose weight to a weight that Renee thought was acceptable. When they wanted to eat anything, they had to ask their master, whoever that may be, one of the top Nexium members, for example, Master, can I have 84 calories? Master, can I have 94 calories? So there was a lady um, who details how she'd have to ask her master to eat a specific amount of calories for each meal. So that was a control tactic, build as a way not to let food control your life and grow beyond your excess. In fact, all of DOS and even of Nexium members were sold as this slavery was sold as a way for members to take control of their lives. So the victims were told very similar ideas like radical responsibility, taking conscious responsibility for everything that happens to you, regardless of whether or not it's your fault as part of this self-building exercise that they had in their seminars. At some point, someone introduced the idea of branding 
women, which meant burning them uh, and marking them similar to what you see on a cattle ranch with animals. Now, one of the women that you follow in the documentary, uh, her name is Sarah, and she talks about how she was introduced to the whole of the DOS situation. So she was brought in by Lauren, who we mentioned earlier, and Lauren phoned her one day and said to her, hey, I've got this new cool thing. Do you want to be part of it? And Sarah said, yes, she was already working there. She was already a senior proctor. She was working on the Nexium side, which felt more like the motivational speaking, the kind of, you know, self-help side of things. But now she's being introduced to this darker side, the secretive side, which was going to be DOS. So she said to her one day, okay, before I let you in, you need to give me collateral, which is what we spoke about earlier. So Sarah sent her a load of pictures and some videos and she told us some secrets about her family or she said she made some stuff up as well just because she didn't really have any major secrets so she actually embellished the truth a little bit and and lauren said yeah that's fine i'll let you in so she invited her over to a place where she told her that she would need to get naked and she would be right back she came back with a blindfold led her into another room where there was four other women she took off the blindfold and recognized who the four other women were. They were also members of Nexium, who she'd worked with for many, many years. They were then told to put the blindfolds back on, and then they were driven to uh, another location. She said she cheated a little bit and looked outside of the blindfold, and she saw that they were actually at Alice and Max's house. And in this house is where she saw for the very first time a woman being branded. And obviously, it was a very painful experience seeing that happen to somebody and she could smell the flesh burning and the sizzling of the flesh burning. And she was very scared and frightened and didn't want to go through with it. But Lauren convinced her that this is something she needed to overcome and this would actually make her more powerful if she went through with it. And at this point, she didn't really see a way out of it because two other women had already done it and she was actually supposed to be more senior than these other women that were in the room. So she thought about what something that she loved, uh, which was her family and her son. And she thought about the pain of giving birth and kind of just gritted her teeth and went through with it. She did it and she was branded and they branded her just below her, her pelvic area. Um, so just above her private parts. She said, actually, when she had it done, she did actually feel empowered mainly because she just felt like it was something that she would never, ever do and wouldn't be able to actually go through that level of pain. But then was obviously tasked with how she was going to tell her husband that she had had this thing. He was also inside Nexium, but obviously on the male side and knew nothing about any of this secret society that the women had introduced to Nexium. So Lauren tells Sarah that she needs to get some slaves under her. And the way the setup was there would be seven masters so to speak and under those seven masters there needed to be seven slaves so sarah's first mission was to find some slaves so hence the recruitment part of the side kicks in so she was out there trying to recruit people not really knowing what she was going to do with these slaves once she had them but was doing it anyway and then she found out at some point that actually lauren was using most of these slaves to do run errands or rub her feet or give her massages or take things to the bank and you're supposed to stay in total contact with your slave master at all times. So before this actually happened, Lauren and Sarah's relationship, she probably saw her once in a while and spoke to her very, very infrequently. But after she became a slave, 
uh, and, and Lauren was her slave master, she spoke to her at least three, four, five times a day. And you'd usually get a text message and you had to respond back to that text message with RM, which meant ready master. And you had to respond back within one minute of receiving that text. Every day you would have to judge yourself and see where you had failed. And that could be something like you maybe ate too many calories. So as Zoe said earlier, they would give you uh, a number of calories that you're allowed to have for the day. And if you exceeded that, you were supposed to be honest and truthful and say that you'd failed, which would be classed as a breach. And if you had a breach, you'd have to have a consequence, which was known as a penance. Your self-inflicted punishment could be something like fasting for the whole of the next day. And over time, you'd have to train yourself not to make mistakes so you could avoid doing any penance. And also, on top of that, you still had to continue with collateral. So even though you sent your original initial photos and videos and secrets, whatever, they expected monthly collateral from you to ensure that it reminded you of the bond that you were in. So because of that, some of the girls that they'd recruited were just allowing their slave masters to take naked pictures of them um and they would just take them into like the toilet or the bathroom somewhere or something and just take pictures of their breasts or their private parts just so they could have something to submit for collateral day in amongst this these women were obviously being treated horrifically seb you mentioned some of these punishments earlier that people had to endure themselves some of these punishments could include being forced to hold painful poses standing barefoot in the snow taking cold showers, whipping each other on the bare bum with a strap. Miss Solzman said that she recalled a time that Mr. Rainier once called during the beatings to tell the women to make sure they had snapped their wrists in a particular way to inflict maximum pain. So he was already power hungry, again, well beyond his means in, in the treatment of these women. Alison Mack was known to have brought women into the cult just for Rainier to use as sex slaves. He had a whole group of sex slaves, which he was trying to brainwash. Apparently, something I read was that he actually believed that women were controlled by his sperm. Specifically, a former member had said that Rainier believed that women he had sex with were all connected by his sperm. So this was another way to control the group of women. So if one woman was having an issue, it hurt Keith. And if he's hurting, you're hurting. So he thought that he was forming a bond with all of these people by using his sperm in them to take control of them, which is just absolutely bizarre. Um, Yeah, that is bizarre. That is very bizarre. Yeah, it's one of the oddest things I found, to be honest. I I couldn't quite believe that, especially when you were saying earlier that he's known for being very intelligent. I think at this point, he's kind of just lost his mind. Yeah, um, but also I think he's also realised at this point they're willing to believe anything he says, so, which, which is an important part with these, these these kind of cult leaders is they know how to hook you in because they know it's like if you put enough truth in something at some point when you do reveal the lie, there's going to be a large majority that are going to follow you on the lie because you've been so honest and truthful in the beginning. So it's almost like it takes a lot for some people to pull away at that point, even though maybe what you're saying seems very strange and odd and can feel a little bit weird. And your instincts are saying, hmm, hold on a minute, I don't know about this. At that point, you're so far in. And because the one thing you have to remember, the self-help part about this, 
has worked for a lot of people. The one thing that comes across in the documentary is the Nexium side of this, the the self help part. Even though they're paying substantial amounts of money for these speeches and this this type of therapy, a lot of people are saying actually they felt amazing, they felt great, like they saw improvements in their life from following this guy's instructions so once you get to that point where you feel like well it is actually working what this guy's saying and you're meeting lots of other people that are saying the same thing because don't forget you're now in a bubble of other people that are confirming what you're feeling it kind of gives you that reassurance so when you are introduced now to this next stage that you are again seeing your peers following and saying no 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 this is fine this is fine this is all part of it this is this is the next stage of empowering you. That's why a lot of people just went along with it because you're already so far in. You can actually see the benefits of what you've previously done in the past. And yes, this may appear strange, but there's also that slight part of you that thinks, well, well what if it works? I don't want to be the one that walks away at this point and fail because failure is where you were before you got here. That's what a lot of them feared the most was not succeeding. Mm. I think um, there's a number of example of this where he's kind of taking it to the limit where people are just people are just going along with what he's saying at this point. He allegedly promoted incest, paedophilia and misogyny. So from early on, the organisation seemed to prime its member for polygamy, but it turned out to be a springboard for Rainier's more controversial views about gender, roles and incest. So he was said to multiple times that it was OK for little girls to pleasure their fathers sexually, which is disgusting. Another former member confessed that they were there were two young girls who were uh, sisters who were told that they should be having sex with each other, obviously with Renee in the room or with them, which is what led to him being handed the additional charges of child pornography in his trial. There was another report that said one of the Nexium groups called the Society of Protectors, women were made to wear fake cow udders over their breasts whilst men insulted them. So it's just another one of wait, these examples. No, that's weird. I've got sorry, I've got to interrupt there. That is very, very weird. Cow udders, no. Yeah, and then, and going back to the branding as well. When they first were told that they were going to have a symbol put on them, they were actually initially told it was a tattoo. They didn't know it was a branding until they actually got in the room and they were naked and they were put on the table, uh, and that's the first time they realised actually it's not a tattoo, it's a branding. And the branding, again, like I said earlier, is just below the pelvic bone and above the private area. And it turns out the symbol, they were originally told it was to do, the symbol was supposed to re- represent the elements, wind, water, and earth. And the way it's presented, we're going to put an image of this on on the um, Facebook group and uh, potentially the website. Uh, we'll talk about that later on in the episode. Um, but we'll we'll put some images out there, especially on the Instagram page as well, just so people can actually see what it is we're talking about. And if you do look at it in one way, it can look like a, a line represents um, the sky and the air, and one line represents a mountain, which is supposed to be earth, and another wiggly line represents water. However, it was far more sinister than that, because if you turn the symbol around which is what sarah did when she got home and she was looking at herself in the mirror she saw actually it was alison max initials and then even more haunting than that when you look at it from another angle it's actually keith initials 
So they mm. both come up with a way how to sneakily put their initials on slaves without them knowing what they were actually putting on their body. And like I said, I'll put the image on, on the website so everyone can have a look. And it is clear as day that it's definitely both of their initials. There's no mistake in that. Once Sarah realized what was going on here and she saw the initials, she was totally freaked out at this point. And she phoned Lauren back up and she said, what's going on? What is this all about? Why do I have Keith's initials on my body? My husband is going to totally flip out about this. And obviously she didn't want that on her body and she didn't want even Alison's initials on her body. She was kind of okay with it when she thought it represented the earth, the sky and, and the water. But now she'd realized actually what this was and what the secret meaning behind it was. It was really freaking her out. And now she was starting to dive into it. So she spoke to Lauren and Lauren kind of denied the knowledge behind it but she was being very vague but also in a way saying don't worry about this you're you're putting too much emphasis on this you're you're trying to control a situation that you shouldn't be controlling kind of going back to the brainwashing techniques that they'd learned in the nexium side of things and tried to deny Keith's involvement but also said that Keith knew about the dos group but he didn't he wasn't really the one that was pulling the strings which mm -hmm. in some way for Sarah, that kind of meant that this was all of Alison's doing, but also Alison was directly being controlled by Keith. So Keith really was the one that was pulling the strings, really. She found out as well that other girls had left DOS, but they were all too scared to say anything because obviously they'd handed over a lot of collateral at this point and they'd made a vow never to say anything about the group. When she did kind of confront some members, what she found out was that they were being made to sleep with Keith. And that was the first time she realized what was really going on and what this was all about. But what was confusing her is that she'd never been approached or told to have sex with Keith herself. But then she later found out actually her job, because she was so, so good at sales and so, so good at recruiting other members on the Nexium side, her main job at this point was now to just get as many slaves for Keith as possible. And they will all be trained up from that point on with the eventuality to have sex with Keith Rainier. Yeah, so in 2017, things started to unravel for DOS and Nixium. Essentially, they were recruiting all these attractive women so Keith could eventually sleep with them. Once the women would get to meet Keith, they would be submissive, amazed by his intellect and his godlike presence and of course branded with his name on them. In March 2018, Rainier was arrested and indicted on charges related to DOS, including sex trafficking conspiracy and conspiracy to commit forced labour. United States Attorney Richard Donoghue stated that Rainier created a secret society of women whom he had had sex with, branded with his initial, coercing them into the threat of realising their highly personal information and taking their assets. On April 20th, 2018, second-in-command Alison Mack was arrested and indicted on similar charges. According to prosecutors, after she recruited women into the first Nexium and then DOS, Mack coerced them into engaging in sexual activity with Renee and performing menial tasks. On April 24, Mack was released on $5 million bond pending trial and held under house arrest. So I do have a running list of some of the women that Alison Mack tried to recruit. I've got her Twitter account here where she's obviously sending out tweets to people. One of the most notable being Emma Watson. So wait, 
So wait, this is mm-hmm. celebrities that she was trying to recruit into Nexium yeah. at the time while she was working there. Okay, hit me. Who have you got? So on February 19th, 2016, she tweeted Emma Watson. At M. Watson, I participate in a unique human development and women's movement I'd love to tell you about. Right. Uh, Emma Watson yeah. never replied. <laughs> <laughs> she was too... Was she, what time was that? 2019. So she'd been done with Harry Potter at that point. 2016, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. 2016. Okay. Right. Um, and I, I just think Emma Watson, that's hilarious because she... Emma Watson is like the forefront of women's rights and human development and things like that so to try and get her into the group just seems bizarre it is but you know what's funny about that though apparently because according to sarah uh on the documentary she said they wouldn't target purposely target vulnerable people they they'd actually try and target people that were um already successful in life that were already kind of confident and they were already beautiful because they saw that as adding credibility to Nexium. So if they could get these types of people on board, it would make the recruitment process easier going forward because people would look at someone like Emma Watson and go, well, she's in it. It can't be that bad. Do you see my mm-hmm. point? And and that's why they recruited actually quite a lot of, let's say, beautiful looking women because people would look at these beautiful women and be led by these beautiful women. So if you were another woman that kind of had some confident issues or some self-esteem issues, you'd look at these women and you think, well, they're all actresses. They're all famous already. Like it can't be, it can't be such a bad idea to join this group. So that was actually one of the the things that Keith actively tried to make sure he recruited those types of people instead of what you would believe would be, you know, non-intelligent, vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. So the next one you'll also know, to add to your point there, in 2013, she tweeted Kelly Clarkson, I heard through the grapevine that you're a fan of Smallville. I'm a fan of yours as well. I'd love to chat sometime. Again, Kelly never responds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even from her Twitter account alone, we can see how she was trying to recruit all these influential women. So we don't know about any of the other kind of tactics she was using. Yeah, and and you can assume it probably wasn't just her either. It was probably a group of them um, trying to target celebrities or politicians or heiresses of of uh, major companies as well. Going back onto the timeline, on May the fourth, Renier pleaded not guilty. In late May, Solzman's house was raided and two Nexium-owned properties were seized. In April 2018, it was reported that Nexium had moved to Brooklyn, New York, under Claire Bronfman's leadership. In June 12, 2018, the Times Union reported that Nexium had suspended its operations due to extraordinary circumstances facing the company. On July 24th, Bronfman was arrested and charged with racketeering. She was released to house arrest after signing a $100 million bail bond. Also arrested and charged with the same crime were Nexium president Nancy Salzman and her daughter Lauren Salzman and another Nexium employee, Kathy Russell. In March 2019, Nancy and Laura Salzman both pleaded guilty to charges of racketeering and criminal conspiracy. On April 8, 2019, Mac pleaded guilty to racketeering. On April 19, 2019, Bronfman pleaded guilty to charges of harbouring an alien and identity fraud. Bookkeeper Russell also pleaded guilty to visa fraud. 
Rainier's federal trial began on May 7th, 2019. On June 19, 2019, after four hours of deliberation, he was convicted of all charges against him, including the racketeering and sex trafficking. In January 2020, a federal lawsuit was filed in New York accusing Rainier and 14 associates of conducting illegal psychological experiments on members of the company and abusing them physically, emotionally and financially. And on September 30th, just a couple of weeks ago, 2020, Bronfman was sentenced to six years and nine months in federal prison. Her attorney promised to appeal, calling the sentence an abomination. To this day, I believe Renee has not been sentenced as they are thinking about bringing new charges against him. No, but he is in custody at the moment, yes. but he hasn't been officially sentenced. This is good because in a way, I've watched a lot of documentaries on cult leaders and and cult members and stuff and a lot of them don't get arrested they either end up committing suicide or getting a lot of their group to commit suicide or um, they die before that happens so this is this is one of those cases where it actually there is some justice being served at the moment and the fact that there are a couple of them were celebrities as well who usually are also untouchable to the law um, it's quite refreshing to see that the FBI did their jobs on this one. Yeah, just on that, if you want a deep dive into Rainier's trial, the Times Union do a podcast called Nixium on Trial, and they send a reporter in every single day to court during his trial. So if you want like a deep dive into what happened at his trial, that's a good podcast to listen to. Okay, yeah, be sure to check that out. While incarcerated, Rainier has maintained his leadership role over Nexium, regularly communicating with his followers via phone. Rainier instructed his followers to solicit the assistance of Alan Dershowitz, who's the attorney who successfully negotiated a non-prosecution agreement for Jeffrey Epstein. So, yeah, one thing that's clear about this is, for me, uh, whenever I see these types of self-help groups or these types of guru-like figures that are supposed to be all-knowing it always puts a red flag up for me and the alarm bells start ringing. I've watched, as I said earlier, a few different documentaries on these on these types of individuals. Um, there's one I watched quite recently. I think it's on Netflix called um, Bikram, the yogi guru predator, who's, who was basically a yoga instructor who had a very, he had a very deep knowledge in yoga. He came um, from, from, I believe, India to america he brought with him a former yoga that uh was respected and revered and seen as the true version of yoga as opposed to what the western world was doing at the time his classes were massive we're talking this was no seven or eight to ten people in a group he was teaching he was on a stage teaching up to 100 sometimes 150 people at one time um there'd be celebrities in his audiences there'd be loads and loads and loads of people following this guy's practices but eventually it ended up the same way he was sexually abusing some of his students um you know approaching some of them at very young ages as well um and just abusing his power i mean the saying power corrupts is true essentially it takes a strong-willed individual to hold that level of power and not in some way be misguided by it or be corrupted by it. Another documentary that I came across was The Family, Children of God, 
which I believe is on Netflix as well. You should check that out. And this was a family that actually, Rose McGowan and, and Whacking Phoenix, who were both actors, they were also born into this family, but managed to flee um, when they were still a young age. But again, it revolved around the leader sexually abusing children, you know. And you see the same thing time and time again. It's an all-knowing, all-godlike figure who claims to know the way. And and to some extent, they are either very intelligent to begin with, or they have a very specific knowledge about a subject that people are seeking information for, whether that be religion, whether that be yoga in the other guy's case. In this case, it was, um, you know, how to better yourself and how to self-improve yourself. And, and like I said, if you listen to Keith speak, he does come across as a very intelligent individual. He can definitely play classical music because I, I, you see it on a documentary. He does play the piano quite a lot and he sounds very, very good at it. When he speaks, he does sound like he knows what he's talking about. However, you can sound like you know what you're talking about if you're talking to people who don't know what you're talking about. So, and that's where I think someone like Keith comes in is that they're able to influence and they're able to manipulate people who are seeking something that are trying to some way improve on something they already have who are unaware that they are probably able to do this themselves and if they had just left the group at the point where they had realized oh my life has actually improved if they'd got to that point where they signed up for nexium did the first few classes because these classes weren't cheap by the way either these classes were hundreds and hundreds of pounds and you had to do multiple classes so you were spending thousands of pounds um for like 20 classes but if they had got to a point where they were like actually i feel better about myself i think i've overcome that anxiety now i i think i can leave the group i've done the thing that i've come here to do and if they would just left at that point they would have been fine but unfortunately you can't and that's what i said earlier you you get hooked in because now you move on to the next thing and they teach you how you can improve that thing and it's over time once they've got their hooks in you and they and you believe okay everything they say is gospel that's usually when the sinister part starts to creep in and you know disclaimer i'm not saying all self-help kind of groups or books are like this let's just put that out there now but there are a lot of them that have proven in the past, um, unfortunately, to go this way. Well, yeah, it's exactly how Scientology works. Again, we mentioned earlier, but you go through up the levels. So you'll purchase your first level and you'll go through that and then you'll purchase the second and you get another tier and you purchase and, you know, you work your way up the ranks. And I yeah. think that's exactly what he was trying to to set up here. Yeah. And I think, and again, going, comparing it to Scientology, I don't, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to labour that point too much, but obviously there's been a lot exposed about Scientology, but something that he did as well was they would audit you. I mean, Scientology calls it an audit where they would get someone to sit opposite you. You'd have to tell them basically the things that you don't like about yourself, which is essentially what they keep on record. And mm. it's, it's once you give that over to somebody, that person has a certain level of power over you because they know how you're vulnerable. They know they know what makes you weak and they know your fears, they know your anxieties. And if you hand that over to someone willingly who you believe you can trust, essentially they can use that against you some point down the line, which is what happens to a lot of these people. When the people of Nexium decided they wanted to get out of the Nexium, they were told, quite frankly, you do realize we've, we've got all these naked pictures mm. of you. You know, we've got all this information on you. We could go to your family if we wanted to and reveal things that you've told us about, you know, your parents and whatnot. And for a lot of people, that's that's 
that's that's intimidating. That's a lot to take on. So you think, okay, I'll, I guess I'll have to stay put and do what these people tell me to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So yeah, I think in terms of a part one for Nexium, I, I mean, I'm not saying next week's episode is going to be part two, but I do believe uh, at some point we will be revisiting this story and, and just seeing what else becomes of it in the future. A lot of these trials are still continuing. Obviously, we still don't know what's going to happen to Keith and what his sentence will be. And I think maybe if that happens, we will come back and, and revisit this story or even just update our listeners with what's been going on. But we will probably in the future as well cover other such cults or other such organizations that have attempted to do similar things or who are still doing similar things. But I think it also proves that not all conspiracy theories are just conspiracy theories. I mean, this is something that sounds like it's out of this world and non-believable. And, and the type of individual that was were, that were involved in this, which are these high-up celebrities that people are always saying are part of these you know, Masonic lodges or Illuminatis or whatever, it kind of proves that there is some truth behind that. There are, these things do actually exist. Whether these organizations do some of the satanic things that people allege they do is, is another thing. But in terms of their existence, I think this kind of proves that, yeah, it's plausible. It's totally plausible and if not factual in this situation, in this, in this instance anyway. Yeah, and I think what I find most interesting about it is how modern it is because a lot of the cults that you or I will know a lot about will be kind of 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, And we kind of don't contribute something like that being able to happen in today's world. Yeah. And when in actual fact, I mean, I did a quick Google after I was Googling this to try and see how many active recognized cults were around in the world today there is no figure the last figure they published was in 1993 so um and that was about 4,000 I think 4,000 so, active cults in 1993 yeah oh, supposedly wow. by what like one source yeah wow. so um so they're not counted and this is happening and everyone thinks you know the whole Waco or Jonestown or um Heaven's Gate we think it's historical but it, it's very scary to think that it can still happen today and is happening today. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is terrifying really when you think about it. Um, yeah. But I think for today's episode, I think we've said enough in order to scratch that curiosity for our listeners and hopefully they'll go away and have a look at some of the, the, the documentaries that we talked about today, just so in case you want to know. So the documentary that I was discussing was called The Vow. Yeah, the podcast I was listening to was um, by the Times Union and it was Nexium on trial. Um, they do some interviews at the end with some people who were in the organisation as well as some people like Ross, who I mentioned earlier, who had been sued by them before. So they talked to some interesting characters at the end of the trial as well. So definitely worth a listen. Yes, and as I said earlier, there are things on YouTube you can definitely um check out as well there's some there's some lengthy documentaries but if you just want to see keith himself there is that documentary um him just talking to addison and it's very weirdly it's beautifully shot don't get me wrong it looks professionally shot but there's something creepy about it for me uh, that's just my own personal opinion but yes if any of our listeners want to get in touch with us or leave any comments for us or want to engage with the show and let us know your thoughts on the episode zoe how can they do that yeah, so we're on Facebook, The Curious Cat Podcast, Twitter, at Curious Cat Pod, 
and Instagram Curious Cat Pod. So that's C U R I O U S Cat Pod. Yes, and we are currently building a website. So hopefully, we'll be bringing all of this stuff into one place for you to access. Uh, we will let you know as and when that's live. Again, we are available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, which I didn't even know was a thing until last week. Um, <laughs> pretty much every podcast platform you can imagine. If there's one I'm missing, please let me know and I'll, I'll get us on there as well. But for this week, I think that's it. Nothing else for me to say, but goodbye and thank you. Yeah, thank you for listening, guys, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you.